I love you, Lord. I tell you what, if we love him, we're going to follow him. Amen? It's easy to say, I love you, Lord, but if we're not living our life showing that, then it means absolutely nothing. That's just like if a man or a wife tells his husband or wife there that I love you, but the life they're living, you know, does not show that, then there's going to be doubt. You have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. We started a series last week that we've entitled The Faithful Bride. And we're just using Matthew chapter 25, the first 13 verses, as a springboard to get into our lesson that we're going to do on this series. This will be the base text for the entire series as we're talking about the bride of Christ. Who makes up the bride of Christ? What's it going to take to be in the bride of Christ? Now, you, you talk to probably five different theologians, you're going to get five different ideas. But for, for the next uh, few weeks, you're going to get my idea, Okay. Uh, but, you know, we want to talk to you on this subject of the bride of Christ because I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. And if we are not prepared, then we are going to be left behind on this old earth. You think things are bad in our nation today. You wait until the tribulation period starts when God's people are removed, you know, from this world. When his Holy Spirit is taken out of this place, you can imagine, you know, the, the uh, evil and the things that's going to take place then. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13. Again, this is just our base text, and we'll jump off from this. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet their bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, and while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so. Least there not be enough for us and you, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And then Jesus left, with these, left us with these words, Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In other words, you better be prepared. You better have your lamps with oil in it. Because the bridegroom could come at any moment, at any time. And when he comes, he's coming unannounced to take his bride away. Now again, last week we began this study that we've entitled The Faithful Bride, and the purpose of this series of messages is to help us understand the traditions of the Jewish wedding in the days of Christ as taking uh, his taking of his bride. In other words, when Jesus comes to take his ch uh, bride, the church, it's going to parallel with the Jewish wedding and how the Jewish wedding went about. So I believe if we understand the Jewish wedding, I believe it'll give us more of an insight to Jesus' coming. 
So that's what I want to do over the next several weeks is take a look at the, G, at the Jewish wedding, see how it all came down. Now, there's at least 12 steps. Now, some people will say there's 15 steps. You know, I kind of go along with 12. From the time the bride was selected until the bride entered her new home. You remember Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto my own. That where I am, there you're going to be also. He was talking about the new Jerusalem that he was going away to prepare for his bride. Now, he's gone away at this time to prepare that place for his bride. And he said, I'm coming again and I'm going to pick up my bride. I'm taking my bride. Now, the question is, will you be ready when he comes again? So during this study, we'll see that with just where we are on the timeline. In other words, I, I want to go through these 12 steps and I want to show you the timeline from the time that the bridegroom, uh, the bride was chosen until the bride was taken to her new home. And let's kind of see where we're at in this timeline. Okay, so that's the purpose of this. Now, we're using again Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13 as our base text. Now, last week we looked at the first three steps. So I want to kind of reca- uh, re- re- recount that. The first was the selection of the bride. Now, there were some brides that, you know, the, the, the daddies made, you know, uh, a deal when the kids were real young that, you're, you know, your, your daughter's going to be my, uh, my son's wife and so on and so forth. But most of the time, the way it went down, you know, in ancient Israel, the brides was usually chosen by the father of the bridegroom as he would send his most trusted servant out to go find a bride for his son. Last week, we looked at the example in in Genesis chapter 24. You remember Abraham sent out his most trusted servant to go find a a bride for his son Isaac. When he got to the well, he just made a simple prayer. Lord, let the one who come here and say, you know, here's you water and here's water for your camels. Let her be the one. And you remember Rebecca showed up and done that very thing. Therefore, she was chosen as the bride for Isaac. So we looked at that example there. Then the second thing in the process was the price of the bride was agreed upon and paid. You see, once the bride was chosen, the father of the bridegroom would pay the price for that bride. And in our case, folks, our price was paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ on Mount Calvary. He has done paid the price. The father, God, has done paid the price through his son's blood on the cross for your and I sin. Okay? Now, the third thing we looked at last week was the betrothal period and the ketchup The ketchup Now, this is where some people separate the two. That's why some have more than 12. I kind of keep them together, the betrothal period and the ketchup You know, I think they go together. Now, during this part of the marriage procedure, you know, the betrothal, you know, the couple actually entered a covenant. They actually entered a covenant. Now, once the couple entered the covenant of betrothal, they were legally married in all aspects except for the consummation of the marriage. Now, that consummation of the marriage, it wouldn't come until about a year down the road. So legally, they were married, but it never has been consummated. So they're in this betrothal period. We gave you the example last week of Joseph and Mary. You know, when he found out she was with child, they wasn't married, but they was in the betrothal period, okay? So that that was the part here. Now, the betrothal ceremony, you know, at the betrothal ceremony, there was a marriage contract that was drawn up, 
And that is what is called the ketchabah. It was a marriage contract, you know, and it was presented to the father of the bride. And what this contract talked about was, all right, here's what my son promises to his new bride. Okay, here's the price we're going to pay, and here's the promises of my son to your daughter. You know what? We, too, have a ketchabah from our bridegroom, folks. Our ketchabah, you know, is the Word of God. The Word of God is our marriage contract to Jesus Christ. All the promises He makes to His bride, folks, are right here in the Word of God. Now, let's move on to the next steps of this procedure, what we're going to look at today. In the next step, after the marriage contract was agreed upon during this betrothal period, what happened next was the cup of the covenant. The cup of the covenant. You see, after the terms of the ketchup ball was accepted by both parties, a cup of wine was shared to seal the marriage contract. Now, that's the first cup. A second cup would be shared many months later during the actual marriage ceremony. So that when, when the price was agreed upon, the ketchup ball was accepted, you know, a cup of wine was drank, and that would seal the deal. But then at the actual marriage ceremony of 12 months or so later, they would drink another cup of wine as it had all come about. Look, the, the, the cup that Jesus drank at the last Passover was the cup of the new marriage covenant with his bride. Let me say that again. The cup that Jesus drank with his disciples in that upper room, okay, was the first cup. It was the marriage covenant with his new bride. You know, we were chosen to be a part of the bride of Christ. The price was paid. You know, our ketchup ball has been given. The first cup of the covenant was shared over 2,000 years ago when Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room prior to his arrest and murder. And the words he said to them was this. You remember the words he said to them as he passed around the cup? This cup is the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you. So when Jesus partook of that glass of wine with his disciples, it was the fourth of the process of the marriage, the first cup, to seal the new covenant that he had made with the people. Look, we need to understand that every word written within the Bible is for a reason. I want to assure you, all 66 books here, there's not a word that's written just by chance. Every word in the Word of God that is written is there because God has a purpose for it. And it's no different uh, with this here. You see, it was not just by accident that Jesus was in the upper room with His disciples that night. It was not just by accident that Jesus had them share bread and wine that evening. Everything that Jesus was doing with His disciples in that upper room had a reason and it had a purpose. You see, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, and don't miss this, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not only for the purpose of remembering Him. I mean, that's part of it, okay? It's not only, though, for the purpose of remembering His death, but we should also be reminded of the cup of the covenant, which what? Seals our ketchup. It seals our ketchup. Now, look here. If you remember, Jesus also told His disciples this. You know, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day we drink it again in my Father's kingdom. You remember him saying that? What's he saying there? The second cup will come 
at the marriage of the Lamb. This is just the first cup. This is just the first cup. Again, it's true that Jesus told his disciples, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So when we take the Lord's Supper, it is for the purpose of remembering the sacrifice he made, you know, uh, for us. However, I believe it goes beyond that. I believe it also has to do with the cup of the covenant of our ketchup during our betrothal period as we wait for him to drink that second cup. Again, what did he say? I'll not drink of this fruit again. This is the first cup. I'll not drink of this fruit again until the day I drink it anew with my bride. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm waiting on that second. Oh, Baptist shouldn't say we're waiting on a second glass of wine, should we? But I am. I'm waiting on that second glass of wine when I'm with Jesus Christ in that place he's gone away to prepare. I've had my first cup. I'm waiting on that second cup to drink it with him personally you know in this passage jesus was speaking of the second cup you know uh, 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 that the bride of christ will share with him on that glorious day and and the second part of our marriage ceremony you know which we'll we'll look at later on in this study so where are we in the timeline thus far here's where we are the selection of the bride has been taken okay when we when we were selected to be a part of the bride of christ the day that the holy spirit Convicted of our sins, we turned our heart and our life over to Jesus. We were selected. The second thing, the price of the bride has been paid. That was Jesus' death on the cross. The third thing, the, 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 the betrothal and the ketchabah. Okay? When, G, when we said, I do, to the Holy Spirit, we entered a covenant with Jesus Christ. And the cup of the covenant... Jesus is drinking uh, of the wine with his disciples in the upper room and our symbolic drinking of the wine during the Lord's Supper. That's the fourth thing. Now the fifth thing in this timeline was gifts for the bride. Okay, after all this, after the selection of the bride, after the price was paid, after the betrothal in in Kachaba, you know, after they drank that first cup of wine to seal the deal, gifts were given to the bride. Now, after the first cup of the covenant, the groom would then present his bride with a special gift. Now, remember, he's fixing to go away for a year to prepare his home for her. So what he does is, prior to him going, at this part of the deal, he gives his bride a special gift. You know, I believe every bride enjoys gifts from her groom. She enjoy, uh, uh, for, uh, enjoys the gifts that, you know, the one who has asked her to marry him gives. You see, all gifts are special. And our God, folks, is the giver of every good and perfect gift. You know, many times, well, uh, you know, what the uh, groom would give was simply just a coin or some other object of value to his betrothed wife. He would give it to her and say, all right, I'm fixing to leave. Here's something to remember me by. You see, the gift would always be something special to help her remember him and their marriage contract while they were apart. Look, it wouldn't be long again until the groom left for that year or more to be preparing his home for his new bride. So while he was away, he wanted his bride to remember him, and that was the purpose of giving that special gift. You know... This gift would always be something special. Now, the focus on the gift, here's an important thing. The focus on the gift 
giving was to be on the giver, not the gift. Say that again. The focus of the gift that he would give her was to not be, uh, was to be on the giver, not the gift itself. You know, today the, the groom-to-be, he gives the bride-to-be what? An engagement ring. All right, as a promise that she will be his. Now, do they get married the very, well, better not say that, because some people, I guess, do get married the very same day. But in most cases, you know, they don't get married the day he gives their engagement ring, do they? It's a period of time there, and it's the same thing here. It's a period of time. So he gives her this ring, and that's what an engagement ring is today. So when they're not together, the bride can look at her left hand and remember, you know, him who has promised her to be his bride. And what do most girls do? Hold it up for all the other girls to see, don't they? Why? Can I ask why you women do that? Why do you always stick that thing in somebody's face? Somebody tell me. Huh? To show it off. To let them know, hey, I got somebody coming for me. I got somebody that wants me. And, and, and it was, again, the same way. In other words, back in this day, because the man would leave for a year, you know, uh, the, the, her girlfriends might say, yeah, yeah, you, you, you just think he's coming for you. You just think you got a guy. What would she do? She would pull out her coin or pull out that other special gift or hold that ring up and say, nope, here it is. He's promised to come back for me. Now, a gift. Let's talk about this for a moment. Not, uh, you know, today, as with this, uh, then, you know, the bride would look at her ring and she's reminded who gave her the gift. You know what is our gift? God's Holy Spirit is our spiritual engagement ring. You see, because God has given us his Holy Spirit. Think about that. God has given to us his Holy Spirit as our special gift. The Holy Spirit doesn't call attention to himself, but he calls attention to the one who purchased us. And that is Jesus Christ. Look, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, here, here's what Paul had to say. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, now look at this, after you believed, in other words, accepted that call to be part of the bride, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. In other words, what he's saying is we're sealed. Our promise, that, 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 that special gift God has given us is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is there to remind us that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And the Holy Spirit is there until, what's he say? The day of redemption of the purchased possession. Folks, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you're a purchased possession of his. And the Holy Spirit is that special gift that you can just look to and say, I know He's coming back for me because His Holy Spirit is with me. Again, notice what Paul states here in verse 14. The Holy Spirit is our earnest of our inheritance. And what he's saying is this, the Holy Spirit is that gift that Jesus has left with His bride until He returns. And again, until the day of the purchased possession, His bride 
What a great promise, folks. What a great gift. We know that Jesus is coming again because all we got to do is look into our heart, look into our lives, and feel the presence of His Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of the promise that He's coming back for us. You know, it, it is by the way of the Holy Spirit, folks, we receive many gifts from Jesus Christ. He's not the only gift we receive. Let me tell you something. By way of the Holy Spirit, we receive forgiveness. By way of the Holy Spirit, we receive eternal life. By way of the Holy Spirit, we receive the fruit of the Spirit. By way of the Holy Spirit, we receive gifts of the Spirit and many, many more. You know, what the bride would say to her bridegroom, you know, when he comes, you know, what bride would say to her bridegroom when he comes, I don't want your gift. You know, I don't want your gift. No one would. And folks, listen. Many of us do that very thing to our bridegroom. The Holy Spirit continually offers us many gifts. And rather than accepting them, sometimes, many times, we turn them away. And then we wonder why we doubt. Do I really know Christ? Am I really saved? Look, stop missing out on what Christ has for you. Stop missing out on what the Holy Spirit has for you. Decide today to accept all that your, Holy, that your groom is wanting to give you through His Holy Spirit. God has given you spiritual gifts to be used within this church. Every one of you that are part of this body, you know, God has given you special gifts by way of the Holy Spirit to be used in this church. You know, a church should not have to beg people to you know, teach in a teaching position. A church should not have to beg people, you know, to be involved in ministry positions, nursery workers, children's workers, people to help keep up the churchyard, people to serve on a security team, people to do upkeep around the church. On and on we could go. But Jesus has given you a special gift to be used to serve Him and serve others. And that special gift has come from His Holy Spirit. Now, the thought, final step we're going to look at today is mikvah, mikvah. Now, mikvah is a ritual bath for the cleansing or purification. Now, it was especially used before the Sabbath or following for the lady's menstruation or childbirth or if one had contacted a corpse, they would have to go through a mikvah. It was a purification process, you know, that was taking place in water. So also, though, Brides in ancient Israel would go through mikvah prior to their wedding. You see, the word mikvah means pool of living water, which is, was used for ritual purification. You see, this immersion into water was a part of their physical and spiritual prepar uh, preparation for the wedding ceremony. You see, the mikvah what it, uh, it, 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 it represents a separation from the old life to the new. Now stop and think about that moment. The mikvah for the, the bride would represent a separation from her old life to her new life. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Water, going through water, representing a separation from the old life to the new. What do you think that's talking about? Baptism baptism look today the bride of christ must also go through mikvah once they enter a covenant with the bridegroom the gospel of mark says this he who believes 
Now, he who believes is the one that says, I do, when the Holy Spirit invites them to be a part of the uh, body of Christ. Just like Rebecca, when, when the servant said, will you be Isaac's bride? Remember her words? I will. I will. That's our way of saying I do. So he who believes, the one who says I do, when the Holy Spirit calls them to be a part of the bride, okay, well, and is baptized, in other words, that they go through mikvah, the baptism of waters, shall be saved. But he does, who does not believe, now does it say anything there about baptism, that part? No. But he that does not believe will be condemned. Now, point that out because I want to say this. You know, many people today, and there are those today, you know, says, well, you got to be saved and uh, baptized in order to truly be saved. Look, I want you to notice this verse is not teaching that baptism is essential for salvation. You know, if it was, the last part of this verse would say, but he who does not believe and is not baptized is condemned. Let's talk about this just for a moment. What this passage is teaching is that in order to be a part of the bride of Christ, one must go through the living waters of mikvah. Okay? In order to be in the bride of Christ, you must have gone through the baptismal waters to be a part of the bride of Christ. Now, here's where some people will separate with me on this. You see? But what we'll see in our next step next week is there will be some who will be a part of the bride of Christ. And there will be some who will be at the wedding, but only as guests at the wedding. You see, we're saved when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But I firmly believe in order to be a part of the bride of Christ, it takes a little bit more on our part. Look. When we as believers in Jesus are immersed in the water, it's a symbol of our separation from the old life to the new life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Look, baptism, here's the important part. Baptism is our first act of obedience once we accept the invitation of the Holy Spirit to enter a covenant with Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. That's our first act of obedience. Look, if you never take that first act of obedience and be baptized after you're saved, you'll never be able to be obedient to Christ. You've got to take that first act first. In other words, once you accept that, once you are saved, you've got to go through mikvah if you're ever going to grow in Christ. I can't tell you the number of people that I have seen walk the aisle, accept Christ as their personal Savior, yet never get baptized, and you know what? They're not in the church for another, you know, uh, a month or two, and they're gone. Why is that? They may have truly been saved. I'm not going to doubt anyone's salvation. But they didn't take that first act of obedience, mikvah, and go through the baptismal waters. Folks, it's important. Look, if you're here this morning and you've been saved, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism, and you're wondering to yourself, why can't I really get committed here? Why can't I really get involved in a church? Why can't I really, you know, serve the Lord the way I want to? It's because you haven't taken that first step of obedience in following the Lord in baptism. Now, we will explain a little later on, you know, how that being a part of the bride of Christ is based on obedience. But, you know, we'll get into that probably next week. But mikvah, if you don't go through mikvah, if you don't go through the baptismal waters, folks, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to live a life of obedience for Christ because you've missed that first step. 
And you have to take that first step. So let me just conclude with this thing. There's three questions we need to concern ourselves with this morning. Every one of us in here this morning, we need to concern ourselves with three questions. First of all, have you partaken of the first cup of the covenant with Jesus Christ? Now, what I mean by that is each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we stress to you that it's for believers only. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's for believers only. It's not for the lost, those who have never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, you know, 11, Whosoever shall eat the bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthy shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he went on to say that many people in Corinth at that time were sick and many people died because they took that cup of the covenant unworthy. And again, it brought sickness to them, and it brought death to them. Folks, the cup of the covenant is an important thing, and it's a very serious thing. And it's only reserved for those who know Christ as their personal Savior. Second thing is, the question you need to ask, have you received the gift that Christ has left for the bride, that being the Holy Spirit? Have you received his Holy Spirit? Have you, you know, when... Have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? And again, once he does, what happens? You know, this is the precious gift that God has for you, his Holy Spirit, to come and take up residence within your life. And the third question, you know, have you followed the Lord in baptism, that first act of obedience since you've been saved? You say, well, you know what, preacher? I was saved maybe when I was a young kid, maybe when I was Eight years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old. But you know what? I have never followed the Lord in baptism. And maybe that is why I can't get serious about my relationship with Christ. Maybe that's why I can't get involved in church the way I know I should be. Because I've never took that first act of obedience and followed the Lord in baptism. Look, you're saved when you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. But mikvah, that is baptism, it, it, it is important for you to, if you're ever to grow and mature as a believer. And I believe it will also determine, I believe it will also determine if you'll be a part of the wedding party at the marriage of the Lamb or if you'll just be a guest at that wedding. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. I want to leave a little curiosity with you this morning so you'll be sure and be back. But where are you this morning? I mean, on all these three questions here, you know, have you partaken of that first cup, you know, uh, of the covenant? And, you know, ha have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit into your life? You know, ha have you followed the Lord in baptism? Are you still flopping around like a fish out of water because you can't get serious? about your relationship with Christ and your relationship with the church and what you know you want Jesus Christ to do for you. Where are you at? Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Look, if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to come into your heart, boy, there's no greater time than now. Because you know what? There is no prophecy that must be fulfilled before Jesus returns for his bride. No prophecy. Now, there's a lot of prophecy to be fulfilled before, you know, his second coming, but not for the rapture of the church. It's all been fulfilled. 
At any moment, God could turn to his son and say, go get them. Bring them back. It's time for the marriage of the Lamb. Will you be left to go through that seven-year tribulation period? Or will you go to be with your groom as he comes back to take out his bride? Only you know the answer to that question. If you don't know for sure, you need to take care of that this morning. If you're here today and you've been saved, but you know you hadn't been following the Lord, you hadn't followed the Lord in baptism, maybe that's a decision you need to make today. As we sing a song of invitation here in just a moment, you need to come, you know, and, and you know, as a candidate for baptism, that you've been saved, but you need to take that first act of obedience. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, please don't walk out those doors without getting yourself right with God this morning. Let's pray. Oh,